the fastest growing podcast on the planet. It's Down the TV Rabbit Hole with Jim and Harry. I'm Jim Hello. in New Orleans, and that's Harry Bartosiak in Chicago. How are you, pal? Uh, greetings. How are you? How's New Orleans? Really good. I want to mention our Facebook page, Jim and Harry TV. I always forget to mention that because uh, now we're on Spotify, we're on Anchor, we're on all the different platforms. But you can always catch all the episodes by going to JimandHarryTV.com. I got a question for you. Yes, sir. I'm, I have the TV on while we're doing this, and they're actually rerunning a, a classic episode of Columbo. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of the ABC ones from the 80s, not the real good ones that the were on movies. ABC in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what they were. They were like movie of the week and they did like six or eight of them or whatever. Right. And there are a couple of older stars on there, middle aged stars. And the woman is still obviously a a very attractive woman, but she's not a starlet anymore. She's more of an actress. She's middle aged. Uh But I don't understand why when actresses get to a certain age, they wear that hair that kind of goes up, you know, in a bouffant and they wear those huge glasses. So they look like the fly. Right, like the glasses, the glasses that you would see on uh, like Brett Summers on Mad King, yes. and the bouffant of like uh, Lee Merriweather or something, who was super attractive when he was younger. Like, what happened to your hair? It's not supposed to look like a wig that you got right. from the mall. Um, you know, you're an actress. You should have a couple of bucks to put together to. But you know, that was the style back then. What 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 were you yeah. watching? Mid seventies? Is that what you're watching? No, this is about 82, 83. Okay, well, uh, still, 82, 83. Yeah. Look at the men's fashion from 82, 83. At that time, there were, like, you know, preppy people wearing polo shirts and stuff, but there was still plenty of leisure suits and um, and sideburns and, and, you know, and bad longish hair and stuff on the men, too. So it's not yeah, all on that the was ladies. The tri- no, you're exactly right. That was a transition period. The plaid jackets yeah. were a little more muted. In the 70s, they were a louder plaid. Yeah. In in the early 80s, it was a more muted plaids. Plaids, a lot of you know grays instead of like yellows and stuff. Uh, but then where do we go in the late 80s? Is that when the thin ties came in and the spiked and the mullets? Yeah. yeah right. The I mullets mullet. with sure. the feathered yeah. hair and all the women with right. the feathered hair and the and the. The um, what are those things called leg warmers, you know, that you wear on? It's kind of like the opposite of yoga pants, I think. It's like when you have well, fluffy, like giant gobs of yarn around your lower leg and ankles. Yeah, I, you know what? That was a good look. The only one who looked good in that was Mary Lou Henner in the movie Perfect. Other than that, I don't think anyone really pulled that off. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that's coming back anytime soon. Well, I, I got an email that I want to share with you because the last broadcast we did, you pulled out a curveball and you did your like top 10 favorite jump the shark moments from shows yeah. that you remember. And you Well, our number one fan, John Kuhn, uh-huh. uh, after he listened to it, he sent me an email. And this is the reason. And I'm kind of hoping he doesn't hear this episode. But this is the reason that you and I call ourselves professional broadcasters. Yes. And he would be more of an amateur, so yeah. to speak. Because he emailed me with these. He said, yeah, Harry did good, but he forgot a bunch of biggies. Like, for instance, when they introduced the new baby on Family Ties. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's kind of right. okay, kind of cliche. He said, oh, and then the new Darren on Bewitched. Well, isn't that kind of cliche? I mean, doesn't everyone say that? I mean, right? Well. John is a great guy, even though he sent this hate mail without notice to me. I'll let it go. But what I had said 
you know, listening is a skill, as we say. So right. I said this was according to me and only to me because there are so many ways you can go with Jump the Shark. It's a there's a cornucopia, a plant, a multitude of uh, shows. So I think he's right. I think that the Darren uh, Switcheroo definitely should be yeah. uh, on any good top ten list. But I wasn't trying to come up with a good top no. ten list. I'm trying to come up with a list according to me. If yeah, I, no, and yours was very interesting. You you had a lot of curveballs in there. I, I'm just saying, yeah. John, I think is 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 picking the low hanging fruit. I think he's just skimming off the top here when he says that when Ann and Donald got engaged on that girl, it jumped the shark. Well, right. I mean, well, okay, but that one is so yeah. I forgot about that. I mean, you know, I like that girl and everything like that, but that's that's not part of the American consciousness. You know, I don't now, think anybody wait, you, cares about it. You still like that girl, even though I sent you that article that showed that Marlo Thomas was the biggest bitch in the world? I, st- I liked watching the show. If I'm yeah. going to take – if all of a sudden I'm going to start hating everybody that Jack Carter hated, I'm going to end up like Howard Cosell. You know, I'm going to end up <laughs> the biggest asshole in the world. So I That's actually like one. her more. Ba- Back and forth insults between Jack Carter and Howard Cosell, the two most bitter men in show business yeah. for the last 50 years. Oh my All right, God. Beaver Cleaver hits high. Beaver Cleaver hits high school age uh, when Denise gets married on Cosby and Niles and Daphne get married on Frasier. Those were the other ones that John mentioned, so I just okay. want to throw them out there. Well, All good ones. All good ones. We appreciate the mail. All right, we're going to start in Chicago because I have a good show today, but I'm not totally thrilled about it, and I think Harry's probably Why? got a better one. So. I don't know. I, I liked it when I did it, and then today when I went over my notes, I said, eh, I don't know. I mean, it's a good one, though. It's one that we definitely have to do, but I think you have a better one, so I'm going to let you kick things off. Well, okay, now the pressure's on, but that's okay, uh, <laughs> yeah. because th- I don't know if I'm going to do it justice, but the subject matter is definitely top of the line. Uh, okay. So here's what I would say. First of all, a little preparation is necessary. I have to look over to everybody around here and say, smiles, everyone, smiles. And let's take oh. a look. Get up in the watchtower. The plane, the plane. Wong. It's my dear guest. Welcome to Fantasy Island. Okay, well, you're right. We definitely have to do this one because this one, this one made an impact on us. We watched it every Saturday night with a love boat when we were growing up. You know, on Saturday night, you don't want to be bothered and troubled. You don't want to be getting upset. You want something that's light. You want something that's you know make you chuck. And you know now, from an ironic standpoint, the guest stars that were on the love boat and Fantasy Island, and I'll get into that, of course. They're just. Yeah. It's just like you're like a pig in slop if, uh, you know, you like to, you know, go over lists of B and C actors uh, and actresses. It's wonderful. Sometimes the first three minutes of the show is the best part because you get to see Steve Allen coming off the plane with that horrible hairpiece. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) And Desi Arnaz Jr., who's about 20 pounds too heavy, but he's still kind of sort of a a famous guy. So he's on the show. Well, you know, guys like that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Matter of fact, one of my most cherished mementos, which I think you valued for me at about $4, is an autographed photo of Ricardo Montalban as Mr. Rourke on Fantasy Island. And in the photo, um, he's pictured with the following people who are all standing around trying to defuse a bomb for some reason. I can't remember what the episode was. Foster Brooks, uh, Don Knotts. Um, uh, Ray Bolger, and who was the other guy you just mentioned? Uh, Desi Arnaz Jr., Steve Allen. Steve Uh, Allen, that's right. 
Yeah, all sitting around uh, on the beach trying to defuse a bomb, signed by Ricardo Montalban. But uh, those are pretty classic uh, uh, guest stars. The, this show started, was created uh, by Aaron Spelling. He was the producer. Sure. Somebody else, I think a guy named Gene Shavitt or something like that, because I've got credit for creating it. But um, it was pitched as an idea originally just as kind of a joke where uh, Aaron Spelling said to the network, well, you've rejected all my ideas this year. What it is? What is it that you want? We want us to do a show where people go to an island and, and uh, have their sexual fantasies lived out. And and the network said, yes, that sounds good. You know, and they were half serious. Uh, so it morphed into. The show, uh, as we know, with uh, Ricardo Montalban and crew, we'll get into in a minute, uh, where people show up. Usually there's two or three storylines. They land in a plane and they land at this uh, fictional fantasy island. And for a price, they can live out their fantasies, which can be anything from tracking down the murderer of a loved one or one guy who thinks he's Tarzan wants to actually go live as Tarzan or, you know, finding true love for the first time uh, or, you know, something, you know, stupid like winning a marathon or something like that. Sonny Bono running a race. I don't know. But anyway, it could be just about anything. But usually right. what happened was uh, Ricardo Montalban would discourage some people from uh, from. Uh, going forward with their fantasy if he thought it was too dangerous and he'd usually say something like be real very careful for yours is a fantasy which is very dangerous you know he would say that like almost every week and um he that, would that would have been better if you that would have been better if you had done it in a ricardo mountain accent just remember that for next time i will <laughs> okay so well uh but he would never stop the fantasy i guess that was the idea was he said you know once once a fantasy begins, how's that? Uh, it, it cannot be stopped. It is beyond my power. So uh, he, so um, the whole thing was they never told you, but it was apparently, I guess, nobody ever said, even to this day, but was he supposed to be some kind of immortal guy or something? Or did he oh, have special yeah. powers? Yeah. No, I, th I think that was, especially in the later seasons, they really alluded to the fact that he was like God or some sort of a God, which was silly. I mean, yeah. we all just kind of figured, you know, here he is. OK, yeah, he can make anything happen. So, OK, go. Let, let's bring in Barbie Benton. Let's go. That plane landed every week and here they would come, all of the guest stars. And as you say, the best part of the show, it was just the the guest stars are it was an amazing collection. I mean, who was not on Fantasy Island is actually easier to do than who was on Fantasy Island. But these are all, all, all almost B and C actors. So usually I do this at the end. But what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to give you the the list of guest stars on the show is so long that it would take three episodes of Down the TV Rabbit Hole just to recite them. So I'm not going to do that. But... Uh, what I'd like to do is give you my Hall of Fame of the guest stars, okay? Perfect, yes. Give me a Hall yeah. of Fame. Now, now is, is this in charge of or in, in order of, like, uh, the guy who had the most appearances or just ones that you consider to be in the Hall of Fame? I'll give you the first two most appearances, which is going to okay. be surprising. I'll tell you that right now. And weird. Uh, and then I'm going to – and the, the rest is just people that I basically wanted to say their name. That's it. Okay. So, okay. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, – the most appearances on Fantasy Island as a guest star are, drumroll please, Carol Lindley. And now we say, who? 
Okay. What? If you remember, there was this actress. I remember her. She was like a blonde, a little bit aging lady. Not like at one time super attractive, but never that attractive. And that now she's, she for some reason was on there eleven times. I'm I don't know. So anyway, uh, wow. And this, that's not the weird one. The weird one is that second place was Ken Berry with seven appearances. That makes so, sense, sure, because he didn't have a regular series then. That was before Mama's Family. Of course, the great Dick Gaudier was uh, on there. Christopher George was on a bunch of times. He was just a classic, would appear as a guest star in shows. I never saw him on a show of his own. You know, he yeah, was, you, for some reason you have a Christopher George, uh, 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 I don't know, uh, you just really like that guy. Well, it came up the other day when your friend John Kuhn was asking us, who the hell is Linda Day George? I just simply said, that's, of course, Christopher George's wife. Linda Day George was always a guest star, too, on a lot of different shows, as is our next Hall of Famer, David Groh. Or Groh. Oh. <laughs> got to give yeah, him his got to give him the age. Yeah. David Groh. There you go. That's yeah. yeah. Uh, Elaine Joyce, Dave Madden, of course, Reuben Kincaid, Randolph Mantooth, yep. Al Molinaro, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Richard Mall, L. V. Moore, who played Hank Kimball. Well, he didn't oh, really. Oh God, yes. Jan Murray, one of the most talented men in America. Uh, yeah, not... he, yeah. He was he was an actor, singer, and comedian, and you couldn't figure out what she, which one he was actually good at. But somehow, yeah. somehow, he stayed famous for forty years. Classic guest star, good at nothing on everything. Uh, Louis Nye, Joanne Flew, the lovely and talented. Oh yes. Yeah. Adam Rich, John Shuck, Elkie Summer, of course, Vic Tabak, Tony Tennille, Abe Vigoda, Jerry Van Dyke, Foster Brooks, Adam West, Dick York, and, of course, Dick Sargent. And so that just gives you a little flavor for the kind of talent that was flying in in that plane every week. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm really surprised Dick York was a guest because... The reason he left Bewitched is because his back was so bad. So maybe he got better and was able to do some acting after that. We might have to look up and see if we can find, because I couldn't find it, what episode he was on and what he played. But he did do a little bit of acting, I think, afterwards. All right, I'll Google it put it in the corrections. I'll I'll put it in the corrections. All right. So anyway, back to the show. As you know, everybody knows, you know, they would come in on the plane. And uh, uh, again, Hervé Vez, the plane, the plane. Tool. And then the smiles, everyone smiles. And when they're getting off the plane, there's two or three episodes. And Mr. Rourke was played by Ricardo Montalban. And at the time, this was like one of his first bigger roles on a TV show. Sure, he had been on TV before. He came from Mexico. He did a lot of things on on Mexican film and television. He had guest starred in some TV shows, including, here's one I never heard of, The Long Hot Summer. Um Okay. Daniel Boone, remember that with For uh, not Forrest Tucker, but uh, Fess Parker. I used to watch that on Saturday morning. All yeah, the time. I, that was one that I ne- that was one I never watched, but yeah, I, re- I remember people talking about it. So yeah, it was pretty good. Ed Ames yeah. was on that show too. He played like an Indian companion and friend to Daniel Boone. Remember, Ed Ames right. was on the Tonight Show and Johnny Carson threw the tomahawk into his crotch. Or is that yeah? No. That's the yeah, that, I swear to God, that's the only thing that I've ever seen Ed Ames yeah. do because I never watched Daniel and Daniel Boone, and he was a singer, I guess, but I never heard any of his songs. So yes. that's the only thing I know Ed Ames for. Yes, he sang with the Ames brothers, and uh, they were actual brothers. The Wild Wild West, Combat, Mission Impossible, I Spy, and get this one: he was on Hawaii Five-O, where he played a Japanese American crime boss. Hmm. 
uh, I don't know. I'd like to see that episode and see how that shook uh, down. You know what? I have seen that one, yes. <laughs> really? You I have? did. I yeah. swear to God, because I'm like, is that Ricardo Montalban? Because they gave him some makeup and, like, some crazy eyebrows. But, you know, it's just Ricardo, Ricardo Montalban, you know, with an extra five minutes. They did that on Hawaii Five-0 a lot. They would yeah. have Hawaiians and uh, Japanese, and they'd be played by people that are, weren't Hawaiian or Japanese. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that occurred all the time. The guys that yeah. played Charlie Chan were not uh, Chinese. And finally, um, he also appeared before Fantasy Island on your favorite show, Bob Hope Presents the Chrysler Theater. Uh, so I don't know what he did on that, but uh, it's I part no of his idea. credits. Oh, actually, you know, I do know that show because what happened was Bob – uh, I, he just wanted to cash a check, so he literally would come out and do like one minute and say, hey, it's the Bob Hope Chrysler Theater, blah, 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 and my guest Ricardo Montalban, and then they'd do like a stage play for an hour. And he would, Bob Hope would do <laughs> yeah. nothing. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, so he's on the show, and he plays you know, Mr. Rourke with the white suit, and as I said, you know, he would tell everybody it's a dangerous fantasy and step in from time to time, and often these fantasies would turn into morality lessons, you know, like uh, it turns right. out, you know, they would blow the fantasy would blow up and in, in, in everybody's in, in their face or the person would get killed or, you know, they usually get killed. But or something would go wrong or they'd learn their lesson. I mean, I don't even want to talk a lot about the stories because there's so many of them. But again, there were two or three uh, stories running on the show, but it would be switching back and forth. They were never intermingled. Never. Hardly. Maybe there was an exception, but hardly ever. Would the guests even be seen getting off the plane with each other from one story to the other? You'd see first. Well, it, must have, it, it must have been a really big island. It's been like, okay, Don Knotts and Ernest Borgnine, you yeah. stay on this half, yeah. and Barbie Benton and okay. um, and Dick Gaudia, you stay over here. Jim, yes. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go behind the fourth wall and give you a secret about it. It's not. Oh. It wasn't really an island. Okay. It was. What? It was fake. It was no, for but TV only. It was called. It's called fantasy. I saw it. They had they'd be there be in the plane in the water. And they, they filmed it. Oh, they filmed what? it. Here's interesting. You bring me an interesting point. It was filmed in Burbank, California. You know, at uh, Warner Brothers Studios. A lot of the exterior shots, uh, not of the water stuff, but a lot of the exterior shots were shot at the Warner Brothers Ranch, which I'm also obsessed with, as you know, because it has the right. Set. It has the sets from all kinds of classic shows like I Dream of Jeannie and Partridge Family and all that stuff. Anyway, but the the beginning is filmed from Hawaii, okay? And then the tower where he goes up, can we say it again? Together, one, two, three. The plane! The plane! The plane! The Free! That was shot in the clock tower, uh, the or the bell tower, I should say, of the Queen Anne Cottage in Arcadia, California which is the Los Angeles County Arboretum and Botanic Garden. Right in wow. back, the lagoon is where they had landed the plane. They got a little plane to land, and they, so they shot all the shots over there. So when you're seeing it, there is no real fantasy island. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Believe whatever you want. But but there, but there really was a Gilligan's Island, wasn't there? Yes, there was. That was real. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was based okay. on a true See, story. That's how I, why I got confused. Yeah. I got yeah, okay. So that part you're right on with. <laughs> Okay, so then Ricardo Montalban, um, you know, I have to say that right around that time, too, and so the shows run uh, 77 to 84, he became extremely popular uh, in popular culture. Uh, and, of course, I'm not talking about his 
acting in the Wrath of Khan Star Trek films, or as Khan, uh, was it called the Wrath of Khan? I think that was one of the films, but he was, you know, did a lot of popular acting in Star Trek. I'm talking about his Chrysler Cordoba commercials, of course. The second biggest star, who thought he was the biggest star, was, of course, Hervé Velasquez. So right. Hervé, you know, who uh, played Tattoo, uh, you know, would run up to that bell tower and yell, Da Plain, Da Plain! Four! Uh, every, and then later, instead of having him do that, they would have him drive in for the first time in a little tiny go-kart. You remember that later in the show? Yes. Would, yeah. And he would almost run everybody over, ha, ha, ha. You know, they have to clear everybody out of the way. But uh, Hervé Velasquez, you know, the whole, the plane, the plane. Five! That was, that became, you know, one of, that's one of the more iconic phrases of that time. That thing was about as... Uh, entrenched in popular culture as the pet rock around that time, uh, that phrase was. But Hervé Velasquez you know, had a lot of problems. He had a kind of a sad life, uh, I'll mention in a moment. But he got his big break in 1974 when he starred as a villain in the James Bond movie, The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Yeah, right. I remember that now. On my command, each contestant will take 20 pesos. Are you ready, Monsieur Scaramanga? Ready. Are you ready, Monsieur Bond? Ready. One, two, three. He was so poor at that time. He was living in a car. And get this, you know what his job was? Before he got no, the before he got this big break? I have no idea. You'll never guess this in a million years. He was an assistant to a rat catcher. Not even the rat catcher. He was an assistant oh. to a rat catcher. So, I mean, that's how broke he was. I mean, I don't know yeah. what that pays, but I'm guessing it's not much. And he was living. <laughs> no, I can't imagine. <laughs> well, I, I, I know I, I, I did go on a job interview about three weeks ago for assistant rat, ca rat catcher, and I think it was, pay I think it was paying about 125k a year, if I'm not mistaken. But that, and that was just based without the benefits. But, okay, well maybe I'm wrong. Right. Yeah, but yeah. So I mean, he had that going for him, but not much else. Yeah. And so, and another gig that he got before this is weird. Uh, that he got before Fantasy Island was he was uh, on a couple of occasions he played the legs of Oscar the Grouch on Sesame Street. Oh, I love tracks. Anything dirty or dingy or dusty. Oh, so, come on. Yeah, I never had, knew Oscar had legs. Well, in a couple episodes, I guess they had it where for part of the gag they had to have oscar's garbage can where they showed his legs coming out and him walking or running and so they used her they put herve in there and he was oscar the grouch's you could see his legs as oscar the grouch's legs and had the all of a sudden the can is mobile um, wow that's well <laughs> Hey, okay. it's a gig. Did, did the check clear? That's the question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He was difficult on the set of Fantasy Island, notorious for propositioning women. Yeah, and, I'd heard that. Yeah. And he was fired for the final season because he, what did he do? Well, he demanded too much money. He wanted to be yeah. paid as much as Ricardo Montalban. So that didn't right. fly. So what happened was, and I remember this now, but didn't remember until I did the, the research, he was replaced by Mr. Belvedere, yep. Christopher Hewitt. Yeah. yeah. You talk about jumping the shark. The show had already, 
I think, jump the shark before that. Oh, no, I think I think that would have to be the definitive jump the shark moment, though. I mean, I know it's probably going down in the ratings, but as far yeah. as I'm concerned, if I see a Christopher Hewitt episode, eh, I'm yeah. moving on. <laughs> well, I thought – I think you're right. That was If that didn't jump the shark, I mean, this is when you were eaten by the shark because uh, prior to that time, Wendy Shaw, an actress of no repute – was brought on uh, to play Julie, who was supposed to be uh, Mr. Rourke's goddaughter. It was kind of kind of like when they brought um, that. What was her What was her name on the Love Boat uh, to be Gavin McLeod's granddaughter? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Vicky. V- Vicky. Vicky was her character's yeah. name, and uh, as uh, milk Jill toast as could be. Yeah, Jill. Yeah, Weaver. yeah. yeah. yeah like, she had no- She had nothing to say. She a- a- had nothing. They never even wrote her any good parts, for God's sake. Never. Never. And there, it was a, of no redeeming value whatsoever. No review of a show on, on Down the TV Rabbit Hole would be complete without mentioning that there was an unsuccessful and obnoxious and vomit-inducing re- reboot yeah. in 1998 with Malcolm McDowell. Oh, who was Malcolm McDowell? Well, he was in uh, Clockwork Orange, a, a classic uh, sort of cult movie. He's been in yeah. some other things. He's a, a British actor. He... I mean, I don't really remember too much else that he's in. There's there's people out there who would probably say, oh, Malcolm McDowell's been in this, X, Y, 8, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I don't know what the hell he was in. I just remember him in Clockwork Orange and this I'll put horrible... it in the corrections. Yeah. I'll put it in the corrections. Speaking... Now, and I, I don't want to go down this road, but I just, while it's in my mind, Hervé, didn't he kill yeah, himself? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was, about, I was about to get into that. It's very sad, well, actually. Yeah. So Well, I, and I had read something, and tell me if this is right. That Hervé Villachez was actually in a lot of physical pain because whatever form of dwarfism, if that's the right term, yes. that he had, he actually had like almost full-size organs yeah. in a small body. So he was always in constant pain from what that, I read somewhere. That's exactly right. And as a matter of fact, um, he was in so much pain that he would often try to sleep while in a kneeling position. Uh, and I guess it got worse with time. You know, he was bullied as a child because of his condition. Oh, yeah. He had made several suicide attempts and had done some work in the 80s uh, working with kids who um, were depressed and considering suicide. So it's nothing to be laughed at, of course. Uh, and um, But one thing that I found was kind of weird is, uh, to me anyway, in the middle of a, in, in my research, in the middle of the description of all the talk about his, the end of his life and how depressing it got, uh, and by the way, he killed himself by shooting himself. Uh, just It doesn't really matter how it happened. But in 1993, um, he put an end to it. And he said basically it was because of his physical problem. I was reading that Hervé had become, at the end of his life, very close friends uh, and became a kind of a groupie of country singer Johnny Lee. You remember him? He was the guy who sang... Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. In the, I remember the song, but I don't yeah. remember him. <laughs> he he would appear. I saw him on like Mickey Gilly's show or something like that. This guy had tons of body hair all over him. I mean, almost like like a suit of hair. And he was wearing a Western vest with no shirt on. So I'm thinking to myself... If I'm going to go on a show on TV, I don't care if it is the 70s, uh, everywhere, not just chess, not like manly chess here, like almost like, you know, this is Bigfoot singing or something like that. But anyway. Um, <laughs> now that now that reminds me of, 
of of one of the funniest Saturday Night Live skits. And I'm not <laughs> when it comes to Saturday Night Live, it's very hit and miss. But do you remember the one with Woody Harrelson or Woody? Yeah, Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Um, where they're all at the beach. And, and, and he, he takes his shirt off. He goes, hey, come on, guys. We're at the beach. Take our shirt off. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I don't. But I, what, uh, tell me. It, it's great. The first guy's like, well, you know, I'm a little hairy, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, he takes his shirt off, full, you know, gorilla suit, just hair <laughs> yeah. everywhere. And another guy's like, oh, you know, I've got, he says, I've, I've got a little bit of a, a, a birth thing, a little birthmark, blah, blah, blah. And he says, no, don't worry about where the beat, blah, blah, So he takes his shirt off, and it turns out his belly button is an Audi. But it's like, it's like really long, so it almost looks like a That's good. And then, then Dana Carvey's the last guy. He says, well, you know, I just had a little bit of surgery, so I don't, you know, want anyone to say, oh, come on, take your shirt. So he takes his shirt off, and on the outside of his chest, he has a beating baboon heart. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Oh, and it was God. funny because you could tell they were trying so hard. You know, the baboon heart was hard to hang on there. So they're like staying on the one shot of Woody or the three shot of the other guys. And they're trying to get Dana's baboon heart on right. So they don't take the shot yet. And finally they take the shot. And everyone's like <laughs> laughing. No, Google it. That's a funny one. That's a really good that's one. That's a good one. I might watch that tonight for sure. Yeah. I forget the year, but Ricardo Montalban has left us. He lived to be yep. nearly 88 years old, and his son reported that he died of complications from old age, meaning he just lived out his years. It's a pretty damn good run, and he was working almost till the end. All right. Well, you know, I picked one that's kind of in the same wheelhouse as far yeah. as uh, uh, the eras go, and uh, there are a lot of similarities, I think, between these two shows, uh, and you mentioned a couple of people that are going to pop up here in a second, but mine was on from 1972 to 1983 on CBS. Uh-huh. A pretty successful show, and it was based on a movie that was released in 1970. Do you think you could guess this show? Well, it's not The oh. Odd Couple. No. Can you give me a little bit of an additional hint? Jeez. Oh, well, I'll tell you this. The movie was very unlike the TV show. The movie was a very dark comedy, and the TV show... Oh, uh, I know what it is. What is it? MASH. You're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. MASH was released in 1970 based on a very popular book. It actually, it cost $3 million to make the movie, and it grossed $81 million. It was the third Whoa. highest grossing film. $81 million. Okay. That is yeah. amazing. And I remember, yeah. all I remember is Elliot Gould, and he wore like a bucket hat, right? Yep. He was yeah. Trapper John. Very good. I was going to go through the quiz, but you're on top of it. Keep okay. going. Go ahead with the quiz because I think I'm just about done. Oh, and I think the only other actor that was in it was Larry Linville, right? Or Loretta Swit from the TV show. Nope. Was actually in the movie. Nope. You're, you're getting close. Who played Hawkeye? Great actor. Uh, I think he might even still be around. Really good actor. He's done everything. Um, I know I know this. I just drive. Yeah, I know you do, too. Donald Sutherland. That's right. Donald Sutherland. That's right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Loretta Loretta Swit was not Hotlit Tulahan, but it was another. And the actress actually got uh, uh, an Academy Award nomination for this, even though she wasn't a she was like Best Supporting Actress, and uh, a real good actress, a, a still beautiful woman today, wonderful voice. Joanne Flug. Uh, no, Sally Kellerman. That's right. Yeah. 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 And they had that they had that scene where she's completely nude. Uh, yeah. where they, they have the shower go up in the air, the whole tent, and she's in the shower, so she's completely nude, which I always thought was terrible. Uh, even as a kid, I'm like, that poor woman. Uh, yeah, that's bad. But anyway, yeah. But, yeah, but, but I remember but her. Did, 
She yeah. did have a good voice, and she played kind of a sophisticated. She sounded very seductive, but she's a very sophisticated approach. She was in. She played one of the professors in uh, Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Exactly right. Yeah, and she was a she was basically a New York kind of stage actress. Um, but she, you know, she stayed very pretty. Still is pretty. I think she's still around. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, so she would. Wasn't there one member of the TV cast that was in the movie? I guess I got that yeah. all wrong. No, no, no. All right, all right. I'm going to shut up What's now. Go ahead. No, no, no. Henry Blake was not pay, played by McLean Stevenson. He played by an actor named, and I know you won't get this one, Roger Bowen. No. Uh, Father Mulcahy was an actor named Renee, and I'm going to screw up his last name, A-U-B-E-R-J-O-N-I-S. Uh, Aubergeon, I'm going to guess because he was a French actor. And you know who he was. He had a mustache later in life. I don't know if he did when he was Father Mulcahy. But he was one of the co-stars on the TV show Benson. Benson? No, you don't, you don't, oh, you don't was remember he, him? He the t- yeah, he was the tall guy who was kind of an assistant to the governor, right? But he was a real, he was a real dick. He was a real yeah, snob. Yeah, real dick. Yeah. He was the foil to Benson, basically. All right. And now, I'm going to – this is your $1,000 Jeopardy question. And boy, you know, if you if you really just kind of rewind in your head for the last two minutes, you might be able to get this one. Who played Lieutenant Maria, quote unquote, Dish Snyder? Le- Maria Dish Snyder. It was it was Lieutenant Maria Dish Snyder. What actress? Uh, okay, let me um... re- re- rewind in your head two minutes. Hold on. Brenda Vaccaro. Um, no. Let's see. Elaine Joyce. Uh, no. No, you're, go, you're rewinding too fa- far. Go quicker. Just two minutes. Minute oh. Loretta Swit. No. <laughs> Sally Kellerman? John Kuhn's favorite, Joanne Flug. Joanne Flug. You're kidding me. Yeah. She was in the movie yeah. MASH? I yes, I I seems to you know it says on Wikipedia. Yeah. I don't remember her. In, you know she but, had a hell you know. of a career. I mean, we oh, are yeah. single-handedly responsible for resurrecting interest in Joanne Flug here because I don't hear damn near anything about her all these years. Well, if it was between you, me, and John Kuhn, she'd be hosting tonight at the Hollywood Palace or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. all right. right. The, the one the one character who was in Mash, the TV show, and the movie, of course, was oh. Gary Berghoff, who played Radar. He was. He played Radar in the movie. Okay, I didn't realize yep. that. Yeah. Yep. The one okay. guy. Now, when they made the movie, and I had heard this from a separate source, um, the uh, the director. Hang on a second. Who was the director? It was a classic director. Um, and you know what? I didn't write it down. I'll put it in the in the corrections. But um, they were talking about the deal, and you know they had the actors and all this stuff. Well, it turned out um, that the director said, "Hey, we need a song," and so they said, "Hey, let's do a song." And anyway, long story short. The great Johnny Mandel wrote the theme song, which, of course, is Suicide is Painless, the same yeah. I used, you know. For, and supposedly Johnny Mandel made way more money on MASH the movie just because he penned that song, which, of course, then they used in the TV show. So the guy who made the most money off MASH uh, in the original cast, anyway, was Johnny Mandel, which is Isn't great. that right? That's amazing. That Yeah. That's, that's damn near amazing. You know, a friend of mine told me it's not surprising that they – I mean, I know they do the original score for movies, so they use original music all the time. But I guess one of the most expensive things to do 
in movies or TV for that matter is when you want to use somebody's already existing music, I guess yep. it's really got to pee through the nose. So, um, well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I can tell you this firsthand. There is a movie with Robert Duvall called Rambling Rose. Laura Dern is the female star. Do you remember yeah. that movie at all? It's, it's I do. based in the South. Okay. Now, and this, I swear to God, this is so true. It was released in like 1990-ish, I'm guessing. Well, they play an entire song that was recorded by Frank and Freddie Asunto, the Dukes of Dixieland, with their recording. It was from their recording with Louis Armstrong on the Louis and the Dukes album. They play almost the whole goddamn song in this yeah. movie. With and permission? To this day, yeah. They had to go to my friend, my dear friend Dino Asunto, who is the executor of the estate of Frank Asunto, who started the Dukes of Dixieland. So Dino Asunto owns the rights to this song that was in a Hollywood movie. And it's still, you know, it's released on DVD. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the whole story. I've got the whole thing. He told it. Uh, Dino told the whole story at Satchmo Summerfest uh, in front of like 300 people. Long story short, I still don't know how much money Dino got when they used that that song in the movie. But I, I don't want to ask him because I know it's probably a pretty good amount. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a dear friend, and I still won't ask him because I don't want to get into that. But I know it's a ton. <laughs> There's not a heck of a lot that, that you can say about MASH that you know most of us don't already know. The thing that I, that struck me... And the reason I wanted to do it is because the movie, as you know, was very dark. Um, it was a black comedy, and they admit that. Uh, but when they started the TV show, especially the first three, four, five seasons, um, even six seasons, because the, the producer was Larry Gelbart for seasons one, four. Uh, Gene Reynolds was in there, too. But then Burt Metcalf took over as uh, executive producer from seasons six to uh, six to eleven. And that's when it started to become a drama with comedy. Because when I watch some of the early episodes now in syndication, there are way too many punchlines and Hawkeye's doing his Groucho marks all the time. And it's annoying to me. It's, I'm like, this is a war. There are you know, people here. I, just, I find the first couple of seasons to be too jokey in my really? opinion. Yes. Now, again, maybe that's just me. But as I've been re-watching... Some of it, I just, it, it's too corny for me, at least the early episodes. So I could say hello to mother every day. I didn't know you could sing. Was I singing? I thought I was dancing. <laughs> <laughs> what the devil's going on in here? Frank, baby! Come on in, take off your skin and rattle around in your bones. Come on in. Listen, hotshot, I'm a pretty fair doctor myself. Ask any of my patients. We can't dig people up just for that. I will not carry a gun, Frank. When I got into this war, I had a very clear understanding with the Pentagon. No guns. I'll carry your books. I'll carry a torch. I'll carry a tune. I'll carry on, carry over, carry forward, carry Grant, cash and carry, carry me back to old Virginia. I'll even Harry carry if you show me how, but I will not carry a gun. That's funny. I thought you were going to say the opposite, that it started off darker and then got enlightened up, because I thought I remember by the end where it was just almost like main, it didn't have the biting 
humor that it was so famous for it was just sort of like it was mostly and maybe i'm thinking almost of aftermath you know what by the time a lot of the main characters are gone it was just so down the middle you might as well have been watching uh webster or something like that there, you know, there right? are some yeah there are some people that say that it, it kind of jumps the shark in seasons nine and ten uh and it went 11 seasons so i don't know uh but I, I did find the early episodes to be a little too cliche, a little, a little too jokey. Yeah. They're always, you know, waka, 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 you know, and uh, I just, I don't know. But anyway, let's talk about the people that left MASH, mm-hmm. um, of course. Uh, <laughs> 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 Let me get to it. McLean Stevenson. <laughs> well, wow, he had good time. reason. <laughs> Oh yeah, what did what did he do after he left Mash in season three? I forget. What did he do? He started. If there was a Mount Rushmore of down the TV rabbit hole TV shows, number one, <laughs> the most prominent position would be Hello Larry, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which actually was on for two seasons, which still shocks me to death. Yeah. yeah and, well, but uh, then they have to change out the whole cast after season one and and the plot and pretty much everything except for McLean yeah. Stevenson. Yeah. Yeah, but they, they, rather than make it about his work, they made it about his home or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, but then, then he also did. You remember his other two shows that he did after Hello Larry? And I don't know, it might even been before Hello Larry. Well, there was the one when he was the priest, and Howard Sprague was in that as another priest too. I can't yep. remember the name of that show. In the beginning, in the beginning was the name right. of that one. Terrible. No one terrible. remembers that. You you no. showed that to me on a YouTube video, uh, and I don't know the other one. The other one was the McLean Stevenson show. Oh yeah, that's the one when he comes out of his store and like and and the yeah. opening credits and falls in a garbage can or something, and that's supposed to be real funny. Yeah, and then he gets home and he like does the exact same thing, and you're like, yeah. they got one joke. They use the same joke yeah. for the for a thirty second open. Oh god. What else? What else you got there? Well, just just a couple other notes. Wayne Rogers, as you know, yep. uh, left also after season three, and he went on to do. Um, a show called House Calls, and he, he worked for the Fox Network for a while as a business analyst. Um, Larry Lindville, who played Frank Burns, left after season five. Yeah. And you know I have I have a great Larry Lindville story. Really? Go for yes. it. Yes. Now, I, I used to work for, um, I used to do the weather for a TV station and a radio station in Champaign-Urbana. Really good radio station, great people there, number one station, and they would do a lot of promotions. And they brought uh, Calvert DeForest in one time for a weekend. Hello, uh, Dave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he was, he, he was just exactly how you see him on TV, you know. But they also brought in Larry Lindville. And I can't remember if I went to this public appearance or not. I'm going to say I did. But he was there, and it was at the real hot spot in town. And it was packed. And he shows up, and he's bombed. And he gets there, and everyone's like, Larry, blah, and he's drinking, he's doing, <laughs> shoot, drunk the whole time. But Frank right, Burns I mean, drunk, not, yeah. Not, but it wasn't like aggressive drunk, it was like college drunk, you know, everyone's uh-huh. having fun, he's taking pictures. But then like six months later, he's in the National Enquirer because he was at a public appearance, and supposedly he grabbed a girl's breast, and he grabbed oh. her really hard, and she filed a lawsuit. Oh, and it, yeah, yeah, and I'll Google that because I'm just doing this from memory. But I'm like, holy shit, he, he, he probably had one too many that night. And it was a shame because he was such a sweetheart of a guy for to us. He was just, you know, drunk and Aww. having fun and taking pictures. and uh, Yeah, that is too bad. And did yeah. – yeah, he had kind of a sloppy end, I guess, because he passed away, didn't he? Oh, yeah. No, he's been gone for a while. And, yeah. yeah, I want to say his end – I want to say his end wasn't great. Um, 
I'll Google that and put it in the corrections. One of the things about MASH is you know that they um, they never wanted to have a laugh track, and there was a big fight. Uh, the first few years, they have a laugh track, but they never had it during surgery. And and the powers that be, the executive producers and Alan Alda and all the actors, they said, we don't want a laugh track, but the network said, no, we need a laugh track. And I think eventually they ditched the laugh track completely by the end. Yeah. They did? Because I, I remember that at the beginning. Let's refresh. At the beginning, there was none, right? No, at the beginning, there was. There, there was? was I thought track. there wasn't. God, I'm... See, I haven't seen the damn show in years, but I thought it, there wasn't. And then later they got the laugh track when it became more of a like a mainstream comedy. But well, I'm, I'll, I'll triple check that. But I think they had the laugh track in the beginning, although they didn't have it in surgery. And then by the end, I think the laugh track was gone. But that was a big bone of contention for a lot of the creative people on the show. Really? OK. Yeah. All right. Now, who played who played Father Mulcahy? That was William Christopher. Who died? Except in the yes, except in the pilot, George Morgan played Father Mulcahy. But he, yeah, you're right. He was he was basically Father Mulcahy, just not in the pilot. Oh, he had sort of sort of a Kermit the Frog type of a voice, but very pleasant. And hello, my son. Yeah, he was good, a good actor, but one trick pony. May yeah. he rest in peace. You know. Now uh, they did something interesting on Mash. There's a great comedy writer, a guy named Ken Levine or Ken Levine, uh, huge resume. Well, apparently in the first couple of uh, seasons, the actors started giving notes to the writers. Said, oh, we should do this. Oh, we shouldn't do that. Oh, I don't uh-huh. like this. and I don't like this. So Ken Levine said, okay. And he wrote an episode. They called it the cold episode, where it was like the biggest cold snap in Korea. And, of course, to make it right, because you got to have breath coming out of the, the actors' mouths, they brought in refrigeration units and it was really literally well below zero on the set for this episode. My God, that is yeah. that is so wild that they did that. I thought they didn't do that. Like on Hogan's Heroes, they would just paint the roof of the buildings white and to right. look like fake snow and then make these guys sweat their asses off in their heavy jackets. Oh, boy, it's cold outside. <laughs> Right, and there's no breath coming out of their mouth at all. You're like, yeah. well, wait a minute, that doesn't. Say... But no, on Mash, they wanted to make it authentic, so everyone was like freezing for the entire episode. Uh, and then after that, they didn't get any more notes from the actors about <laughs> the scripts. Ken, Le- nope, that was it. No more notes. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was ingenious. That's a great story. Hey, that is a yeah. good story, and I have to say that. The minute I mentioned, I said I called William Christopher a one-trick pony. I'm sure now that's not correct. First of all, I apologize. Forgive me, Father. Uh, Okay. Uh, Second of all, maybe that's one for the corrections. Something tells me, as far as MASH goes, he either directed some episodes or did something uh, unusual and surprising. I know this is not good radio or good podcasting, but there's something about William Christopher that is worth mentioning. Uh, that maybe I could, we could dig into for the corrections in terms of his involvement with MASH. I know a lot of the actors. I know Alan Alda and um, uh, Mike Farrell. I think they directed a lot of episodes later and even wrote a couple. Uh, okay. but yes, I promise. I will Google that, put that in the corrections, because I know he did have a pretty interesting career, but he, it seemed like he was almost always kind of playing the same guy. That's what I meant by the one-trick pony. He was more typecast. I'm sure he's very talented. But there was something that he did that stood out that was surprising to me. Wayne Rogers, is he dead or alive? He just died a couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you knew for sure. I I didn't know. No. He seems like the kind of a guy that would still be around for some reason. Some people, it's not surprising. I, I didn't figure Larry Linville was alive. But Wayne Rogers, it seemed like he might be 
uh, around longer than you think. Yeah. He, well, here's my Loretta Switz story. When I was in Fort Myers, Florida, she came to town, and a girl that uh, I dated for a little bit was the anchor at the other station. And so she did like a 5 o'clock show. Um, I don't think they called it Live at 5, but the 5 o'clock show was kind of the lighter side of the news, you know, and then it would get more serious as you got closer to 6. So she did an interview with Loretta Swit, who was in town doing like a one-woman show, you know, where she sang and danced. And, you know, she was she was about two furlongs past the finish line look, looks-wise at this point in her career. Um, but Becky's interviewing her. And Larry Linville, I think either Larry Linville or Harry Morgan had died the previous day. And uh. so she... You know, uh, she's getting ready to do the interview. She says, listen, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to start by asking about, you know, the death of one of your coworkers. And Loretta Swit goes, you can't ask that. I'm trying to sell tickets to a show here. You can't talk about something that tragic and sad. I need to sell tickets. And my friend Becky's like, oh, my God. Holy cow. So so basically she just starts the interview and says, Loretta Swit is in town. Why are you in Fort Myers? Gives her the microphone. And lets her talk and say whatever the hell she wanted to say. You know what I would have said? Yeah. I would have said, thanks for joining us today, Loretta. I was just wondering, how bored would I have to be before I would pay money to see you in a one-woman show? What are you going to do? Pull out your headset? Show us how you talk over the telephone, hands-free? And we're going to see that? I mean, I don't oh know. Oh, my God. That com- <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, that was a commercial back in the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the the reddest. Sw- I forget what it was called, but she was the national spokesman, yes. and it was look at this. Never have to. Do you have a crink in your neck from holding that annoying telephone hand receiver? Uh, have you? Did you have to take off work because you know, the phone was too loud in your ear? Never again. Loretta Swit has got a brand new invention for us all to make our life easier, and that's the head. What was it called? I get. We'd have to look that up for the correction because I know no, it had I pro- some kind I pro- of tricky name. I promise by this time I've already pulled the clip and put it in the show. I'm was, so, your memory is amazing, for God's sake. I just wish I could remember, remember the name of the product. Uh, and yeah, then, you know, I, off, I will see those commercials sometimes, you know, when you watch something on YouTube. I'm so tempted to call the 800 or 900 number yeah. and just, hey, you know, I was hoping to get the uh, smokeless ashtray. Do you have any in stock? Could you send one my way? You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or ask to speak with Loretta Sweat. I'll buy it, but I want to talk to Loretta personally. Oh, and I by the way, you know how we like to we go down the rabbit hole and sometimes we Google people and uh, and we say, hey, I wonder what they look like today. I'm going to save you. Tra- Don't Google Loretta Sweat. Okay. Um, and, and also, don't uh, Google Gary Berghoff, because I think we're going to have to feature him next Thanksgiving in the Macy's Day Balloonhead Parade. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm taking a note of that, because we are putting together the lineup right now. We have only a limited parade slots available. So when I hear of a new candidate, I'm going to mark that down. All right. Now, when, when MASH left uh, the air in 1983... It was obviously they had that that classic uh, uh, episode, Goodbye, Farewell and Amen, the two hour episode. Supposedly 106 million people watched it. It got a 60 rating and a 77 share, which is, I think, even bigger than the Super Bowl. Yeah. But did you know that in the last season, listen to this, it was only the third highest rated show for the season. Now, number one, You, you mean the finale was only the third highest rated show? No, no, no. The finale was number one, but for the entire season, it was only the third highest rate, uh, the third highest rated show. 
MASH was. Yeah, MASH was. Number two was Dallas. Okay. And it actually was tied for number three with Magnum P.I., if you can believe that. Yeah, well, yeah, I can. Because towards the end, like I said, MASH had become, it kind of was down a notch or two in terms of, it wasn't really like the cutting edge thing to watch anymore. And all right, I'm trying to think of anything else that I missed here. I'm looking at my notes. Uh, I I pretty much hit hit all the sweet spots. I think. Here's a quiz for you. Obviously. Yep. What was uh, Radar's favorite drink? Oh, grape knee high. Grape knee high. Right. Yep. Okay. You want to hear my Harry that's... Morgan impersonation as uh, uh, Colonel Potter? You know, I think that's a great way to end this episode, unless you have anything else, because I, I, you know, your impressions today have been have been minimal. Yeah. I, I always love yeah. to hear a good Harry impression. It's only two words. So, uh, in the words of the immortal uh, uh, Colonel Potter, I'd like to say to our audience to close out the show: Horse hockey. Jim here, back with the corrections. Donald Sutherland is now 85 years old. Dick York was bedridden for about 18 months after Bewitched. He had back problems and became addicted to painkillers. Then he had a nice comeback, uh, career-wise. In 1989, he had emphysema, and then he died in 1992 at age 63. The quartet of actors that Harry referred to in the picture, he said Foster Brooks, Don Knotts, Ray Bolger, and Steve Allen. Well, they were called the Over the Hill Gang on the show, and it was actually Foster Brooks, Ray Bolger, Tom Ewell, and Phil Foster, so he was kind of close, I guess. Malcolm McDowell is 77 years old, most recently in Entourage and Heroes, huge resume. Sally Kellerman is 83 and still working. The director of MASH, the movie, was Robert Altman. Larry Linville died in 2000. He had uh, cancer and battled that for a couple of years before he passed. And William Christopher did not direct any ep of MASH. And now the disappointing part. I tried. I looked everywhere. As a matter of fact, it took me a week to even post this podcast because I was looking so hard for the Loretta Swit hands-free telephone commercial where she's got the headset and the big smile and like eight miles of cord all wrapped around her and I just can't find it. So if you can find it, feel free to send it to us. Go to Jim and Harry TV on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Another one coming soon. So long now.